Thank you, Brogan. Wonderful to see you this morning. As Brogan said, my name is Ben. I am the vicar here. And if it's your first time here, I'd love to chat to you afterwards. So please do come and say hello to me over a cup of coffee at the end. Now, just a piece of church news for you. Um, Brogan was just praying about church planting and church revitalization and church grafting. And on Thursday, just three days ago, I was at Bishop's house, Bishop Helen's and Bishop Helen Ann's house, where I was licensed as priest in charge of St. Luke's, just down the road, which more importantly than me being licensed, that's the legal mechanism by which Adam can be licensed there um, in the autumn as a team go from here to St. Luke's to revitalise and graft into that. So that is fantastic news. And do please continue to pray for Alice and Adam and Abby as they um, lead the team over to St. Luke's. And, and even more than that, pray that we get more opportunities to do this across the diocese, that we may see the kingdom of God come in the northeast as in heaven. Amen. Amen. Great. If you want to grab a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 11. We are reading from verses 25 to 30. This is the set reading for the day, and it's all about radical rest. We're in this sermon series called The Radical Life, and we come to the point in our service where we're looking, in the series where we're looking at rest. So this is Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through to 30. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal to him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. And loving God, we pray as we open your scriptures today and as we look at this passage that is going to be looked at by millions of people all over the world today, we pray that you would speak to us and I pray that I will speak truth and we pray that all of us will be challenged and inspired by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're coming to the end of this sermon series called The Radical Life. For the past few weeks in the lectionary, we've been going through some teaching that Jesus has been giving to his disciples about discipleship. And just in case you've missed a couple or you're just joining us today for the first time, I'll just spend a moment recapping where we've got up to. So, so far, we've looked at the radical call. Jesus calling his disciples and Adam in particular took us through Jesus calling Matthew. And isn't it radical that the king of the universe would call us? The fact that he would issue his call at all, that Jesus would give a call when in his day it was usually students that chose their rabbi. Jesus chose his students. That's a surprise. But that Jesus chose us. Of everyone he could have chose, he chose me and he chose you. After that, Lee took us through the radical few. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. 
And we thought about how we have been called to play our part in bringing the kingdom of God in the Northeast as in heaven. We're part of the radical few and we're to live radical lives of discipleship, which led us on to week three as we looked at the radical cost. So we're called and chosen. We get to play our part, but there's a cost to that. And we thought, didn't we, about how believers all over the world, even today, will give their lives for following Jesus. And we were thinking about what does that mean for us when we can't even work out what discipleship in our own life looks like sometimes, or what truth is, or what we should do with our resources when there's brothers and sisters today who will give their lives for the gospel. So there's a cost, but at the same time, it costs us nothing because Jesus paid the ultimate price on the cost. And then last week, we looked at the radical welcome. Brogan took us through those verses in Matthew chapter 10. There's a welcome being prepared for us, yes, in eternity, but also now as people of peace respond to us carrying the gospel with us. And today we get to this teaching on rest in Matthew chapter 11. And so we're looking at radical rest. Now, just some context to this passage. Jesus has been performing signs and wonders in many of the towns in the region in which he is preaching. And just as Brogan was talking about last week, some of them welcomed him, but many didn't. In fact, despite the amazing and wonderful signs that many saw, lots of these people in these towns did not repent. And so Jesus actually begins to speak some very difficult words of judgment over these towns. And you can read about that earlier in Matthew chapter 11. But Jesus has been doing all of these signs and wonders and teaching. He's been busy, if you like. And then we get to these verses in Matthew 11, which find their climax in the last verse, verse 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, The Guardian ran a, a very interesting headline. The headline read this, exhausting search for solutions to the UK's sharp rise in tiredness. And the article explored how doctors are seeing increasing numbers of people coming to them to complain about the fact that they are tired and wanting solutions to that. The article said, everybody in the UK, it would seem, is absolutely shattered. And it talks about how one of the reasons that we're tired is because we don't exercise, but the reason that we're not exercising is because we are tired. Teachers are talking about how children are turning up to school and increasingly teachers are reporting that children are coming to school tired. The article explored how lots of screen time, the mental health crisis that was accelerated by lockdowns, Loneliness, again accelerated by the lockdowns, meaning that we don't have time or the space to process. And all of this, the, cul the cumulative effect, if you like, of all of this is that people are feeling more and more exhausted. I wonder, as you sit here today, whether you feel exhausted. Now, it's interesting that this article should be written today in the time that we find ourselves in. Um, this comes at a time when we have access to the best technology that we have ever known, the most advanced medical care that we've ever known. We're more connected to people than we ever have been before. We have allegedly the best mattresses that have ever been invented. There's professional sleep counsellors, sleep experts, and yet we're more and more exhausted. 
And why is that? Aren't we supposed to be on a march to unstoppable progress? Aren't we heading to, towards utopia and the world's just getting better and better and better as progress becomes more and more obvious? Well, last year, 88% of the UK workforce apparently experienced some level of burnout when they were surveyed in, just in the previous two years. 88% of the UK workforce experienced burnout in the, in the last two years. Well, what if, what if the only source of rest and the only source of peace is not a thing or a product or a mattress or less screen time, although these things may help, but what if the only source of rest and peace is a relational being? What if finding rest in God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the only way to true and radical rest? So let's have a look at this passage together and see the radical rest that Jesus invites us into. So firstly, we're going to look at the revelation of rest. This is verses 25 through to 27. Now, as we look at these opening few verses, 25 through 27, you may think, what on earth do these verses have to do with radical rest? Well, remember what Jesus has just been doing. He's been traveling around from place to place. He's been doing ministry. He's been teaching. He's been healing the sick. He's been performing signs of wonders. And then Matthew says, at that time, Matthew says in verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. In other words, at that time, Jesus worshipped. He returned to what he'd been doing for all of eternity. He returned to what he'd been doing for all of time, being in relationship with the Father. The Father, being in relationship with him is the true revelation of rest. Now, before we go any further, I feel like I need to give full disclosure here and say that there have been multiple jokes in the office this week about the fact that it's me preaching on rest. As many of you know, I um, tend to be frenetically busy and I'll confess sometimes sinfully busy. Um, and if I'm not busy, then my natural inclination is to generate a lot of activity around me. That's just one of the ways in which I'm wired. I can't sit still. I can't really stand still. As you know, when I preach, I just pace around. Um, and the more people I'm doing something with, the happier I am. Um, now, I know that I, this is one of the areas of my life that I really do need to get sorted. In fact, Lee, I don't know if Lee's with the kids or if he's in the room, but every single Friday, Lee will challenge me on this, on my um, discipleship around rest. Now, even Jesus took time to rest and be in his Father's presence. And if Jesus needed to do that, then how much more do I need to do that? Charles Spurgeon put it like this, rest is not waste time. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. We shall do more by sometimes doing less. Now, isn't this what Jesus preaches in John's gospel, in John 15, even the vines that bear fruit need pruning so that they can bear even more fruit in the future. Henri Nguyen put it like this, in our leisure, we reveal what kind of people we are. 
The silence of our retreat speaks volumes. It is one thing to claim to trust God. It is another to give him our time. It's one thing to claim that we trust God. It is another to give him our time. Now, again, this is really challenging, isn't it? Now, I'd actually say preaching to myself that to give God our time is to trust him. And the reason that that is the case is because when we cease from activity, we're declaring, God, you are sovereign and I am not. God, you're in control and I am not. God, the work is yours, ultimately yours, and it is not mine. I'm invited to join in, but the responsibility belongs ultimately with God. In other words, recognising that praise is a form of rest, that being in God's presence in a form of rest totally shifts and changes our perspective. The revelation of rest is the Father. Now, Jesus goes on to emphasise this point when he says that the Father has hidden these things from the wise and learned and has revealed them to little children. Now, isn't this interesting? In other words, the wise and learned will miss out on the fact that praise, adoration is a, is a, is a, form, of, is a form of rest. God's wisdom is revealed to those who approach him like a child with humility, like a child approaches a dad. Now back to the article that I mentioned just a few moments ago. We're allegedly more wise and learned about sleep than ever before. There will have been more doctorate level studies done on sleep, obviously, because time is ticking on now than ever, than in any time previously. And yet, allegedly, we're more and more tired. Well, perhaps instead of thinking that progress is just one way, that we're just heading towards progress as a human race, what if we were to look back on some people that have really wrestled with, with this stuff, like the church fathers or people that followed Jesus many centuries ago? St. Augustine said, you made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Is your heart restless today. Now, I guarantee that it will be restless until it finds its rest in God. Now, how does your heart find rest in God? A few weeks ago now, some of you may remember this if you were at the 6.30 service just after Easter, we baptised um, a wonderful young man um, who had come from a different faith tradition and he had had the most beautiful and profound encounter with Jesus. And um, he asked us if we would baptise him. And so we baptised him the week after Easter in the baptistry just there. And he said to me and, and Brogan when we baptised him, please, can you hold me under for as long as possible? Because I really want to feel like I'm dying to self and rising to new life. Now, he'd never read the Bible before, but he'd seen this verse around the baptistry, Romans 6, verse 4, and he really wanted to feel like he was dying to self and rising to new life. And when I asked him about about this afterwards, I I see him on a weekly basis at at the minute, um, he was saying, well, he just was so exhausted, so exhausted from trying to prove himself, so exhausted from trying to prove himself to to, to his family, all of this kind of thing. He just wanted to feel like he was really dying and rising to new life. Now, interestingly, just a few weeks ago, I think I've told some of you this story, one of his neighbours turned up at church 
And his neighbour just, I was on open church, we opened during the week, and one of his neighbours just walked in, walked straight up to me and said, I've been told to come here and that's the first person I speak to is going to introduce me to a man called Jesus. And I said, well, I can, I can introduce you to Jesus. And he said, why, why have you come? And he said, well, a few um, weeks ago, my neighbour got baptised here. And I, he was saying that he can't sleep properly and he's getting these, the same night terror every single night. And he, was just, he just said, I'm exhausted. And my neighbour told me that the only way I'll find rest and peace is if you go to the church in the city centre by the Haymarket and the first person you see say, take me to a man called Jesus. And so he came up to my office and um, we actually did Alpha in his, the first week of Alpha in his, in his language. And he prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the way to peace and rest. Now look at verse 27, it's made clear in this passage. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now do you see how radical this is? Even salvation, even our salvation is a product of rest. Jesus is very clear in the Gospels. We don't choose to follow God. We don't choose the Father. We don't choose Jesus. Jesus chooses us. Jesus draws us to himself. And because that is the case, we contribute nothing to our salvation. Or as one of my colleagues used to say, we contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary in the first place. It is all a work of grace. It is all a work of God. Our being saved is not even something that we can do. In fact, the Bible says that when we were dead in our sins, Jesus came to rescue us. It is a gift that we have to receive by doing no work ourselves. Now, our culture values productivity, doesn't it? Achievement, it values constant activity. You can get all of these apps. In fact, Brogan's got one that he's told me about. It's an app called Ellie, um, which is like an like a AI virtual PA thing. When he first started telling me that Ellie had arranged this and that, I thought, is he using my Ellie as his PA or something? <laughs> Um, no, there's this, this, vir this virtual um, AI thing called, called Ellie. Um, and it's the, the idea is it to make you more productive. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, Brogan, at all. But we don't find rest in the way that, the, or achievement or a sense of identity in the way that our culture says that we find it. We find rest through grace and surrender. We find rest by picking up our cross and following Jesus. That is why the rest that Jesus offers is so radical. Everybody in the world is chasing something, a false identity or achievement at work or financial success, thinking that that is going to lead to them being at peace and feeling at rest. And it never works. Jesus is the only way. Eugene Peterson, Will sent me this quote in the week, put it like this. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. The revelation of rest. Okay, secondly, the invitation to rest. This is verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
So Jesus invites all who are weary and burdened to come to him. And he gives us a promise. I will give you rest, Jesus says. Now, all of God's promises, as we know, are yes and amen in Jesus. And this one is no different, I promise you. Jesus is inviting you to rest. He's inviting me to rest today. Now, notice very carefully what it is that Jesus says. I will give you rest. Jesus is saying emphatically that his invitation to rest, his invitation to peace and to shalom, the invitation to rest is an invitation to him. He alone, as I've already said, can give rest. One of Jesus's titles, of course, is that he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is Lord of rest. He issues the invitation. A couple of years ago now, I was um, receiving some teaching for a course that I'm doing from a Jewish theologian um, who has become a Christian. So he's a a Messianic Jew. And he was teaching us on the Sabbath and he was, speaking, uh, he was speaking on the doctrine of creation and he was saying, you know, in, in Jewish thought, God worked on days one to six and on day seven, he rested, just as it says in, in the scriptures. And he was saying that in some Jewish thought, day seven has never finished. So day seven goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And the whole of the rest of the Bible, the whole of the rest of the scriptures is about God's people finding rest in him. And of course, that is revealed in the person of Jesus and God's invitation to all of creation since it was first made is come and find rest in me. Jesus has come to me and I will give you rest. He alone is the source of rest. Now, again, this invitation is so radical because it's so different from the ways in which we usually think about rest. It's an invitation to rest from performance. It's an invitation to rest from legalism. It's an invitation to rest from religion. It's an invitation to rest from your own efforts. Peace comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me just illustrate this with something that happened to me just this morning. This morning, somebody arrived early to church because they were serving on team and they got here on a taxi, by taxi so that they could get here promptly. Um, However, on arrival, this was at 10 past eight this morning, they walked through these doors, they were talking to me for a few minutes and they suddenly realised that they'd left their phone in the Uber. And this person's panic suddenly came upon them because he was trying to call his phone, it wasn't being answered. And then suddenly an idea emerged, my idea, just put it out there, um, to use the Find My Phone app. Now, I don't want to embarrass this person, so to protect their... Um, To protect their identity, let's just call this person Dom. Dom the Wellen. Now, with anticipation and a glimmer of hope, because we could see Dom's phone moving around on the app, it was moving all around Jesmond and all around Gosforth, um, we tracked tracked the phone down. And I said, Dom, why don't we just jump in my car? You know, it was two hours till we needed to soundtrack. Why don't we just jump in my car and chase your phone around Jesmond and Gosforth in my car? So we jumped in the trusty old Dacia and we were driving around Jesmond and Gosforth following this thing on the, on, on the tracker. And because, I don't know if this is an iPhone thing and really Dom should maybe move to Google, I don't know, but there was a bit of a lag. There was a bit of a lag on the, find, on the, on the iOS app for, for find, my, find My Phone. And so when we got to the place we thought the phone was, it was suddenly refreshing. It would be like three streets down. And we were doing this for about 10 minutes and we could ju- it was just always out of reach. 
Now, in the midst of this completely fruitless chase, again, a moment of clarity suddenly dawned. Um, not on Don. Um, we discovered that if we could push just this button on this app, um, it would make Dom's phone emit a sound, you know, wherever it was. And so we pushed the little button on, on Dom's iPad. And suddenly the driver of the taxi um, answered Dom's phone. And he made us an offer. He said, instead of chasing me, why don't you just stay where you are and I'll come to you. So there we pulled over in Kenton, because the phone had got to Kenton by this point. And we just waited in one spot and we just waited for the phone to come to us. We didn't have to chase it any longer. And in that moment, chaos disappeared. Brandon had joined us by this point, so I don't know if that, we picked him up on the, on the way. Um, chaos disappeared. We stopped striving and the phone just effortlessly came to, to us. Now, that very pursuit, I think, encapsulates what lots of people are spending their time doing today, chasing fruitlessly something that they think will give them rest and peace, but they can never quite get there. All of us are doing that right now, I think, in some way. We're chasing a dream, or we're, or we're chasing something that we think will fulfill us. It may be an identity that we think is being imposed on us, or it might be an identity that we feel that we need to chase. But in the midst of our restless striving, Jesus extends us an invitation. I'll come to you. I'll rescue you. Jesus chased us down, not in frantic pursuit, but in arms wide open on the cross. And he offers us rest. He offers us a peace that surpasses all understanding. A satisfaction that cannot be found in worldly pursuits. And when we respond to his call and choose just to be still, we find the very rest in Jesus that we've been desperately seeking in other things. Now, what does Jesus' rest look like? We'll look at verses 29 and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. What does that even mean? Well, in Jesus' day, a yoke was a wooden beam that was placed on the shoulders of, a, of an oxen to join them together for work. So instead of having the power of one oxen, you'd have the power of two. And that would mean that really strenuous tasks could be done when these oxen were joined together. And so the yoke became a symbol of hard work and responsibility and graft, a symbol of being joined together for work. Now, what Jesus is saying, of course, is that his yoke is the opposite of that. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. How? Well, he's gentle and humble in heart. In other words, the yoke that Jesus offers us is relationship because his yoke connects us to him. And instead of his, instead of his yoke being a picture of work, it's a picture of relationship that's defined by grace. His burden is light. Why? Well, his burden is light because on the cross, he took on all of our burdens. He took on all of our sin. He took on everything that is wrong with us and the world so that we don't have to carry it anymore. 
That's why his burden is light, because he bore it all. He was burdened on the cross so that we could be free. He was burdened on the cross so that you didn't have to chase those, those dreams that you have that always seem unobtainable. And instead you find that all of those things that you were chasing are actually found in a person who's come to rescue you. Now the challenge, of course, having heard all of this, and I don't, the challenge is probably biggest to me out of everybody in the room. The challenge for us, of course, is to live as if this is all true to live like we've been freed from religion, to live like we've been freed from legalism, to live like we've been freed from that endless pursuit. We need to practice the spiritual discipline of rest. Now, I'm just gonna offer a couple of suggestions as to how I do do this, not that I'm the model for this by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm gonna offer some things that I do do that me and Ellie have put into place. And as I'm sharing these, you just think about what you might want to do. So. In that article that I was talking about right at the start of the talk, some experts are saying that screen time is one of the reasons why people are so exhausted at the moment. Now, I actually don't think that devices are the problem. The problem is our heart. The problem is what do we do with these things? How do we allow them to shape our hearts? Um, I was, re again, reading in a different article, on average, people touch their smartphone 2,617 times a day. 2,617 times a day, we're, we're touching our smartphone screens. A lot of us spend more than eight hours a day looking at a screen. Now, imagine if I just spent eight hours a day looking at Ellie instead of looking at a screen. Our relationship might be even better than it is now. We spend so much time with the, these things aren't the problem, it's what we do with them. Now, for most people, the first thing they see in the morning is their phone. Again, that, most people are using their phone as an alarm clock. So um, parents often are seeing their phone before they see their kids. Spouses are often seeing their phone before they see their spouse. And it, you know, it goes on and on and, and on. Phones are often the first thing that we see. And that means that if we turn on our phone first and we switch, say, maybe to the BBC News app, then what's defining our day is what the BBC are choosing to put out on the newsreel that day. People often look at Instagram before they look at anything else. And so what's defining them is often comparison. Oh, I wish my life was as good as that. Or you realise that you forgot to do Be Real yesterday and you suddenly do it. And then you realise everyone else was with everyone else yesterday. Why wasn't I there? And so comparison again is beginning to define us. And it all leads to exhaustion. Now, in the light of Jesus' teaching on rest, there are some things that we could do to counter that, to live as people that radically, radically believe that Jesus really is Lord of rest, that really is Lord of the Sabbath. John Mark Comer put it like this, what you give your attention to is the person you become. What you give your attention to is the person you become. So about eight, nine years ago now, Ellie and I brought um, on Amazon a very simple wooden box and it's a wooden box that plugs in at the wall and it's got space for seven devices in it, seven, seven, seven little slots. And um, one cable charges all, all, of these, all of these things. And so for, for the last nine years, we've had a rule that all of our devices, our phones, our tablets, our computers get left in that box in the living room. 
They don't come into the bedroom at all. Now, it's not a massive thing, but it's a simple act of resistance against the hurried, the hurried and busyness of the culture and of the day. That simple act, in that simple act, we're trying to say, Jesus, you are Lord. You get to define our day. Not the agenda of the people who write the BBC News, not people on Be Real, not Instagram, but Jesus, you get to define our day because it's you that gives us rest. Walter Brueggemann wrote a book called Sabbath as Resistance. And he said this, those who participate in Sabbath break the anxiety cycle. They're invited to awareness that life does not consist in frantic production, frantic production and consumption that reduces everyone else to fret and competition. Now there's lots of, I think if you look around as you watch what you may watch on Netflix or as you listen to songs on the radio, I think that you'll hear lots of hints of people being absolutely exhausted and people searching for peace and people searching for rest. Now I've looked at several lyrics from different songs to try and show you that this is true culturally. And the best example I could find is actually, is actually one of the songs from Hamilton. Um, it's the song Nonstop. And in the words nonstop, Alexander Hamilton and his colleagues are tirelessly working on drafting the Federalist Papers to advocate for the ratification of the US Constitution. If you don't know Hamilton, then just bear with me for a minute. And the lyrics of this song, this particular rap, depicts their constant state of busyness and the overwhelming pressure to feel that they can achieve their goals. And there's a repeated line in the song. I won't rap it because I can't rap. If I've given Mim some warning, I might have got her up to do it. Um, the repeated line is, why do you write like you're running out of time? And um, some of the lyrics in the song, why do you write like you're running out of time? Write day and night like you're running out of time. Every day you fight like you're running out of time. Why do you write like it's going out of style? Write day and night like it's going out of style. Every day you fight like it's going out of style. Why do you write like tomorrow won't arrive? Why do you write like you need it to survive? Why do you write every second you're alive? What is it that you're doing? Might not be writing, but it might be something else, chasing somebody or something, pursuing that thing that you know you're never gonna catch up with. What are you doing, spending your time doing like you're running out of time? What is consuming your mind so much that it's becoming something that you think you need to survive? A word of affirmation from somebody? that thing at work that you've been chasing, perhaps a promotion? What is it that you've been doing? And it's almost as if you feel like in your very actions, you're displaying that you're running out of time or you need it to survive. We will never find rest until our hearts find their rest in God. Why? Because it's him and him alone that gets to define who we are. It's what he says in the Bible that gets to define who we are. And it's his promises that lead us to rest. Culture's notions of identity, culture's notion of self, culture's notion of what it means to be human, I guarantee you will only lead to more and more and more exhaustion as we get caught up in a loop that we just can't get out of. Until we recognize that Jesus has broken in and he chased us down so that we could be free.
Can I invite you to stand where you are? As the band come up, we're going to respond.